Hello, and welcome to Cream of Caroline, the casserole lifestyle podcast you need most in your life. I'm your host, Caroline Hatchett. Now, things are going to get a little twisted today. Cocktail and spirits writer Kara Newman will join me to talk about her latest books, Nightcap and Cocktails with a Twist. I also head to the State Fair of Texas in Dallas, where I try not your average funnel cake bacon queso burger. Yeehaw. And I'm going to make not one, but two classic dishes with a twist, of course. It's going to be creamy. What's in the oven? Today we have two dishes, pepperoni and broccoli salad found on page 216 and green chili quiche on page 31 of Southern Living's 1983 annual recipes cookbook. Now I chose these because there were about five uh, broccoli salads and five quiches and these were the twistiest. For the salad, combine fresh broccoli florets and sliced mushrooms with diced Swiss cheese, pepperoni, and bell pepper. Toss that uh, with prepared Italian salad dressing mix. I used the powdered and it was brilliant. Let it sit for eight hours and serve. For the quiche, super simple, incredibly delicious. Brown a half a pound of ground beef with a quarter cup of onion. Place that into the bottom of a blind baked pie shell, topped with canned green chilies, two cups of jack cheese, and three eggs that have been blended with a cup of milk. Bake at 375 for 35 minutes. You have dinner. That's what's in the oven. Casseroles in the news. The women of the farm group of Pawnee County, Texas are hosting a freezer cooking workshop on November 2nd at Pawnee County Fairgrounds. Participants will make dishes including green chili pork tacos, beef and creamy potato casserole, cheesy ham and potatoes, and pizza casserole. Each cook is asked to bring a knife, cutting board, measuring spoons, a liquid measuring cup, and a cooler to take home all your meals. RSVP by October 28th. Pioneer woman Reed Drummond just released a new line of casseroles. You heard it here. They're in the freezer section of Walmart and grocery stores near you. Selections include a fancy mac and cheese, broccoli cauliflower casserole, country corn casserole, sweet potato and kale casserole, and green bean casserole. I love it, but come on. Green bean casserole is about the easiest to make dish in any casserole lover's repertoire. We'll take a hard pass on that. And finally, casseroles are for dogs, too. In the UK, the innocent pet at Thorpe Arch won a Best New Dog Food Award for their air-dried British lamb casserole. One of the competition judges declared this looked and smelled attractive enough for humans to eat. In fact, one of the judges tasted it and pronounced it delicious. That's your casseroles in the news. All right, guests, I'm, I'm sitting here with a uh, Castells Campari in my hand. <laughs> this is a surprise for me, and even better, I am with spirits and cocktail writer, the spirits editor for Wine Enthusiast, and author of five books, including two that have come out in the last year, or two years. Is that right? That's right. Okay, so uh, Cocktails with a Twist and Nightcap. I'm with Kara Newman. Hello, welcome. Hi. Thank you for bringing the Campari. I spied this on Instagram a few weeks ago and have been dying. I've been really curious to try it. I'm very excited about it. Yes. Um, I 
don't know all that much about it. I, I promise I'm not sponsored by them. Um, <laughs> but they can sponsor the podcast if they'd like to. Campari, I would love to take your money and some product. That's great. <laughs> the product. Oh, yeah. I, this one's barrel age, and I've seen it at conferences, and I've seen it on friends' Instagrams. I'm like, I would really like to try that. And dreams do come true. Yes. Here it is today. So I, I know a lot about... I know a lot about your writing, and I'm excited today to learn more about you and uh-huh. like the behind-the-scenes stuff from your work. So we, a uh, little research, you are from just north of New York in Rockland County. Correct. Tell me about your childhood and meals and what your parents drank. I'm so like curious to see what got you into this world that you're in right now. Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, keep in mind, I grew up in Rockland County, which has virtually no no industry and no celebrities, and it's really just a, a small bedroom community. It was just a very nice place to grow up. Yeah. And actually, I'm, I'm fourth generation Rockland, believe it or not. Did your parents commute into the city, or did they work in Rockland County? No, they worked there. My dad uh, ran, he was the third generation running Newman's Men's and Boys Wear. Oh, really? In Haverstraw, New York. Yeah, it's, it's no more. It closed in, I believe, 1984. Okay. But yeah, his grandfather started it and then my grandfather took it over and then my dad took it over and uh so a clothing family a retail family yeah yeah. very cool but um in terms of of meal times um a retail existence means that a lot of the time he would be working late hours Mm -hmm. often working um through dinner during the the holiday season or on on weekends and uh, my mom was a teacher okay and, Mine uh, too, and she, she she got home early enough to make dinners, but my dad got home pretty early as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, if if we're talking casseroles, the one the one casserole I'm saying this with air quotes, my mom made was mac and cheese. Okay, mac and cheese with uh, the cream of mushroom soup. Yes, with wait macaroni and cheese with cream of mushroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, instead of a bechamel or something, it was just like an easy. Exactly. Yeah, thing exactly. to put in. Okay. And you get those good crunchy edges and the yeah. little mushrooms, and it was pretty good, actually. Okay. I know it sounds delicious. I've been I cooking a lot more with cream of mushroom than I have in the last uh, 20 years <laughs> since the advent of this podcast. So uh, today on the menu for post-interview, I decided to uh, mine the Southern Living cookbook that I'm working out of for the season for things with a twist, vaguely, <laughs> vaguely thematic with the, with the new cocktail book. I'm so, so honored. <laughs> so they had tons of quiches, which I don't, I'm just going to go and say it's a casserole. Quiches are casseroles, custards, whatever. Uh, so I picked the most bizarre slash least, least offensive in that Venn diagram. There were some like clam things, really strange. Mm. But uh, this Leap is like a, thing. yeah, this is a beef and green chili kind of Texas style air quote quiche. And then just to throw another weird recipe in, I grew up with broccoli salad. Um, not a casserole, and but it was like a mayonnaise and raisin-based dish. Mm, you had me up until raisin. Right. Okay. So I skipped the raisins though. So this oh, this is this is a this is a from the southern style one. It has pepperoni and mushrooms and Italian dressing. Mm, that sounds so super tw- super weird and twisty and off kilter. And I'm like, we're just you know we're gonna make fun stuff today. Excellent. So that's a, that's the casseroles. Um, but did your did you come from a family of like wine drinkers or cocktail drinkers? Uh, neither really. No? No, no, not a whole lot of drinking at all. Uh, I think my dad was a beer drinker. My mom was like the occasional 
um, nip of Bailey's. Okay. That was usually a little too much. I do remember, though, they had uh, one of these cabinets full of all kinds of weird, obscure liqueurs that they mostly collected on their travels. The, the cabinet's still there. The liqueurs are probably still there. And you haven't rated it yet? Tried it once. Okay. Regretted it. <laughs> you know how it is. You hang out with, with friends and you're not quite of, of drinking age. Yeah, okay. And, you, you know, you get up to things you maybe shouldn't get up to and mix things that really shouldn't be mixed. Okay. But in your adult life, you haven't gone back and seen if there are any, like, dusties that are amazing back there. No. There, there aren't. I can, yeah. I've definitely gone back and, and looked, and it's, it's things that I'm, I think are of questionable... Um, Provenance. Yeah, questionable quality. Yes, I think, okay. I think all these decades later, I would be taking my, my life in my hands, drinking out of these... Uh, these particular long open dusties. Okay, sounds like a good essay, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Adventures in, in curdled Bailey Irish cream. Yes, yeah. that's happened to me. Yeah, that's the last one Asking. I bought. Bailey's, <laughs> right? Um, so, but NYU and journalism school. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did you do anything in between journalism school and writing about cocktails and spirits? Between journalism school and, and writing about cocktails, I mean, I had a whole other career in between. Okay, so I yeah. don't know about that career at all. Okay, uh, I mean the the trajectory kind of goes like this. I graduated from college. Okay. Uh, there were there were no jobs to be had. It was the recession. Mm-hmm. I moved to New York to go to NYU Journalism School. Mm-hmm. Had a bunch of crazy jobs while I was in journalism school. All of them just bizarre. I mean, I look back, it's things like um, I must have had three different jobs at a time to kind of pay for school. It was things like editing crossword puzzles and <laughs> writing book jacket copy for, for bodice ripper novels. <laughs> there was an internship, yeah. there were some temp jobs, you know, you kind of put it all together and it's, and it's a living. And then I, I graduated and said, well, I'm going to, I know I want to be a journalist. I know I want to, to write about something interesting. I don't know which direction I want to go in. And of course, when you don't know, you land in finance. Okay. And I wound up covering financial topics for, for quite a long time. And it was, it was interesting. I was really into it for, for quite a while. Um, I covered healthcare uh, for three years during a recession. So, I, yes, and it was very interesting, and I learned a tremendous amount. But yeah, I was not destined to cover healthcare for the rest of my life either. Right. Exactly, yeah. But it was definitely interesting, and I definitely took a lot away from it. And it did, I mean, looking back on it, it did kind of steer me towards writing about food and, and drink in a really, really circuitous way. Right. In what way? How did that happen? Well, I was covering, um, I was covering equities. Okay. Then I was covering fixed income. And then I started covering agricultural, I started covering commodities and that included agricultural commodities. So uh, a lot of them are food-based commodities. Mm-hmm. You know, frozen orange juice futures, pork belly futures. I mean, those don't trade anymore, but they, they did at the time. They did pork belly futures? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Go back to the, the early 1960s. They actually brought live pigs onto the little piggies onto the floor to, to celebrate the launch of the, the pork belly futures contract. Okay. You learn something new every day. <laughs> and I wound up writing a, a book about, uh, it was called The Secret Financial Life of Food. Okay. It was a, a more of an academic book. Uh, the, the subhead was from commodities markets to supermarkets. Okay. And that was kind of my, my entry into, um, into really thinking about food. 
um, as something more than just something you, you eat. Okay. But you really were one of, I feel like you got into cocktail writing before almost anybody else, or, or, or very early in the game. Because the timeline I was looking, it's Flatiron Lounge opened in 2003, Pegu Club in New York 2005, PDT 2007, and Vibe was only launched in 2005. This all seems wow. so recent. Uh, I moved to New York in 2006, so I was, I was kind of in the middle of it, but had no idea. And when did you start, when did you start focusing or writing about cocktails? That was probably around 2000, I want to say 2006 maybe. Okay, so really right at the beginning. It was, it was very early, and it wasn't for me exclusively writing about uh, drinks at the time. I still had my corporate job then. Oh, you did? I did, and I was just sort of doing things on the, on the side here and there, just, you know, freelancing, dabbling. I joined the Culinary Historians of New York. I was starting to learn how to cook. It was a hobby, you know, it was a hobby. Um, I went out to Pegu with friends. It was fun. Um, but I didn't really start doing this full time until 2009. Okay. Um, I can't believe I'm coming up on my 10 year yeah. oh anniversary my. doing this full time. That's really amazing. So, yeah. I mean, so no training, no, have you done W set courses or anything like that? No. No. So really it was just, you started part time and drank and drank and drank. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put it that way, it sounds really awful slash fun. I don't know. Um, my first steady gig writing about drinks was um, I was working with Chili Pepper magazine. Okay. Which is which is a real a real magazine and it still exists. And I was doing some uh, you know one off articles for them you know writing about um, you know chili competitions and you know the the best hot sauce things mm-hmm. like that you know really really fun and my editor. Uh, that was Gretchen Van Esselsten. She's now with the Specialty Food Association. Uh, she kind of essentially turned to me one day and said, we need a, a cocktail column. Can you do it? A cocktail column for a chili magazine? Uh-huh. Okay. And yep. you're like, yes, I can. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm not going to tell you that. Right. Um, I mean, real, real leap of faith on her part, but... It was actually really, really good though because it gave me a chance to really ask a lot of really stupid questions mm-hmm. of really smart people, right. and that was the best way to, to learn. And at that time, it's really one of the only ways to learn. Right. And uh, it was um, it was actually a really a good education, and actually turned into my first book because after I'd been doing that for a couple of years, um, my first book uh, was called Spice and Ice, and okay. it was all spicy cocktails. Okay. Yeah. There you go. And I went freelance shortly after, after that. That was published in two thousand nine, and here we are. So, what, what are? Do you have memories, like specific memories of, like two thousand six, two thousand ten, drinking, in New York, like drinks that have become modern classics, or any any of these magical moments? The one that that um, that I think about is is probably at, at Pegu, the the fitty fitty. Okay back before it was really a, you know, a, a thing. I mean, it was, it's, it's just a 50-50 martini with you know, little extras, the, the orange bitters, mm-hmm. and Audrey Saunders being as, as precise as she is, knows exactly which, which gin and which vermouth. And, um, but it was just such a revolutionary concept and such a 
beautiful bar, still is such a beautiful bar. I am ashamed to say that I did not know that that concept was Audrey's. It just seems like it is, it's existed in the world forever. The 50, that's hers? I assume that a, a 50-50 equal parts wet, air quotes again, air, wet martini as right. opposed to a dry martini, I mean, I'm sure it must have existed somewhere. Uh, but she really codified it mm-hmm. and made it a thing and gave it that, you know, like really, you know, sassy, fitty-fitty, you know. Right, New York kind of name. Exactly. Now, in the, uh, the first book of yours that I encountered um, was, this, was the Equal Parts Cocktail Book. Okay, Shakespeare Sip. Yes. yes. And the fitty fitty is in there. Is it? It's in there. Yeah. Okay, we have that one. And, you know, that was pretty revolutionary for me. Also, as I was meeting bartenders, I, I love an equal parts cocktail. Just the, the elegance and the amount of balance that it takes to put one together. And, you know. It's really hard, too. I, mean, I, I can imagine to come up with, like, the paper plane. Oh, just throw it off. No problem. Right. No big deal. And it's so, it's so brilliant <laughs> and so perfect. And it's it's balanced I mean on a, a razor's edge and it's so good right so it's how what was it like to write that book writing it was was a lot of fun it was really easy to gather the recipes for it and the really hard part was trying to develop new recipes for it and I came up with some real clunkers that I poured down the <laughs> sink so when when I say it's it's hard to make an equal parts I mean respect it's it is it's very easy to make a really terrible unbalanced drink that just happens to be made with equal proportions of ingredients. Right. It is really hard. It's like you're, fo- you're forcing it. I mean, unless, yeah. unless I feel like it's like divine intervention and, you know, because there just aren't, there aren't a ton of them, I don't mm-hmm. think. No. And I had this idea. I mean, you know what it's like making, um, putting together a, 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 a recipe collection mm-hmm. and there are always holes, you know, you wind up with, let's see, I, I think I had so many stirred and boozy um, like Boulevardier style, Negroni style mm-hmm. drinks, and I needed things that were more light and refreshing, and, and different kinds of fruit juices that you know weren't that would be easy for someone to, to buy at the store. Not everything with esoteric liquors and and spirits. And so I remember trying to make this. Oh my God, it was so bad. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I'm having a post traumatic stress disorder. It was meant to be some sort of a. a tiki adjacent drinks I didn't have a lot of rum drinks and I was trying to come up with something fruity and colorful and and easy drinking and and with with juices they could very easily acquire at at a store and it was this god-awful murky mess it was so gross (laughs) it was it was orange juice and I think there might have been a cranberry juice and a rum and oh it was so so bad yeah I can't imagine I can't imagine that uh, at, at all. Uh, <laughs> so, but that's another question, because uh, something that I've never even attempted to get into. I've done a few experiments at home, maybe only one or two successful. When did you transition from just writing about drinks to actually developing cocktails, and how did you do that? I think that was when I started uh, working on books. That was really my first. Did you just dump a lot of liquor? Like, how did you? No, do you just experiment it at home? That's it. I dumped so many drinks down the down the sink. I cannot okay. tell you. Um, for spice and ice in particular, I mean that was my first book, and it's a very specific kind of, of drink um, drink style, spicy cocktails. Mm-hmm. And for that, uh, because it was my first book, and I was really overcautious, and I really I really didn't want to blow it. 
um, I was uh, doing really deep dive testing on other people. Okay. I put together, I was still working in a co-working space and everyone's really happy to help you test drive drinks. Yeah, of course. When they don't have to pay for them, even if they're going to be spicy and, and, and only some of them are going to be okay. And I remember I made them fill out these little uh, spreadsheets. It was so <laughs> meticulous. It was so, so geeky looking back. Um, and uh, we would make the drinks, we would test them, they'd critique them, they'd tell me what they liked, what they didn't like, and I would sort of go back and adjust. And a week later, um, there would be, um, you know, another, another iteration. And some of the worst drinks that I've ever had have been drinks that I myself have devised. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm, oh, I was looking, before we, we came in, I was, I was looking up some of the old drinks mm-hmm. and there was one in particular that was so bad. It was, I really shouldn't be advertising this. No one's going to hire me ever again. Uh, <laughs> I was looking up, it was meant to be a habanero infused martini kind of variation. And okay, um, it is really hard to infuse straight habaneros. And this was before everybody had a... Before rotovaps and before mm-hmm. you know, all these kinds of crazy things, right? Absolutely. Oh, but the point is that it was so bad that no one could drink it and we spent a lot of time trying to come up with names for it <laughs> instead of instead of drinking it and I, I brought the list of names oh, with please me. tell me <laughs> do tell me they were just I mean it was things like the the burning man okay there naturally was, there was the hot kishka there was zapple the the seer sucker s-e-a-r like searing <laughs> okay so nice yes and the winner was ow my tongue <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Suffice it to say, none of these drinks are in the book or any other book. After okay, that. thank goodness. <laughs> we're all the same. <laughs> so here I begin to reference Kara's new book, Cocktails with a Twist. But in the interview, I did not mention its name, so I wanted to slip it in here. Well, so let's talk about the book. I think it's beautiful. There, I am really attracted. There's like. I love I love paper. I love print. It's so nice. And so we're look, I'm looking at multi-hued paper and fold-outs. And the concept is, you know, you're you're giving classic cocktail styles, and then giving five-ish or more variations on a theme. Yes. Correct. Um, it's about the the DNA of the drinks. So um, instead of being just simple. 101, you know, these are drinks 101. I'm thinking of it as, you know, drinks 102. Mm-hmm. And so it's, say, for the the margarita section, it's set up with the, the 21 most most popular drinks. And for each of those, say, if you're looking for a margarita, um, I'm trying to help people stair-step to, to something that might be like a margarita, but hopefully it's not a margarita. So maybe it's something that's a tequila sour Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a tequila drink like a Paloma, which is not a margarita. But if or, you or but sour. if you like margaritas, you're likely going to like a Paloma. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And I'm also trying to explain to people that if you like a margarita, which is basically a tequila sour, you might like something like a daiquiri, which is basically a rum sour. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to help people put together, you know, all the connective tissue between the, the drink universe. I yeah, I think about my. Uh, 
this is great for a home bartender. I think about my sister who is like a big tequila drinker and I can I can see her using this book and instructing her husband. <laughs> like a, awesome. di- a different cocktail uh, every, you know, every night of the week to make. But the other thing that's great about it is that if you have uh, rye or tequila, you also get five-ish drinks that, you know, you can make with a single spirit. And if you don't want to invest a ton of money in a million different products or don't have the space to have 35 bottles, then you, you can still like make several drinks within a style, within your own style of drinking. So, By design, we, we made sure to call for as few brands as possible. Mm-hmm. So I, I noticed that. That was, that was deliberate. Yeah, I mean, there are very, very few. I think one of the, <laughs> one of the only ones that actually have very specific uh, spirits called out would be Audrey Saunders's recipes. Okay. Because and and she, why is that? Did she insist upon it? Because she's very precise and she insisted upon it. And she's probably right. Uh, but her her drinks, I think, were just so key to be in the in the book. I was willing to to you know go past that particular rule. Mm-hmm. You know, but bend at the rules just for for Audrey. Now and for for this book, it's a mix of things that are just super classic, and then also you call out a few bartenders. What's the ratio of um, it's probably, let's say it's 60% classics, 40% bartenders, maybe it's closer to, to 50-50. Okay. So there are no drinks of my own in there. Okay, none. And I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is, this is not a showpiece for me. This is meant to be instructional. I did not realize when I reached out that Nightcap was also, you had done that so recently. Yeah, not even a year old. Oh my yeah. gosh. And I love it. So this book... It's almost exclusively from bartenders around the country. Correct. Yeah, so what is that? And so tell us the premise of the book first before I jump onto my million questions. <laughs> <laughs> so Nightcap is about nightcap cocktails. And uh, basically that had to be defined because there's no such thing as a nightcap mm-hmm. uh, the way there is a martini or an aperitivo. So we had to set out and say a nightcap is... And uh, where I came back was um, a nightcap is something that helps you close out your evening in one mm-hmm. way or another. You know, it might be something to end your meal like a dessert. It might be something to sort of wind down for the evening so you can get a good night's sleep. It might be something that you uh, use to kind of help digest. There's a lot of Amaro in there. A lot yes, of I noticed that. That is that's deliberate. Love, love Amaro. Um, or it might be something that's kind of a conversation lengthener, mm-hmm. so something that's maybe not too strong. I mean, it could even potentially be a non-alcoholic drink. It's more about the the situation than the the drink style itself. So it's a pretty wide range of what's in the book. Right, which I which is what I really loved about the book because I'm super guilty of just one more drink. <laughs> <laughs> there is no S in nightcap. I you're right. Just one. Otherwise, <laughs> it's, it's like, just another round. No, I know. But my husband will, he, he does, I guess it's like the conversation lengthener. So he's, you know, when he tries to take control of <clears throat> the situation, he will give me a low ABV, um, like a Ferrari or just some kind of Amari vermouth. Situ- What's a Ferrari? I think it's, it's, it's 50-50 Campari and Fernet. <gasps> Oh, what a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Or he, and, and then he also sometimes will do 50% or 50-50 Fernet and Fernet Branca just on ice. I, but yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm nightcaps plural often. That's, 
<laughs> it's so hard. It's your drink. It's your night. I know, right? Uh, but this, there are some pretty advanced concepts and, and at least vocabulary in here. Uh, we talk about suppressors, uh, which comes out of Atlanta, the low ABV term that they use there. There's tons of Amari um, and room temperature drinks. There was one from um, Julia Momose in Chicago, which I don't see those very often. The Scaffa. Yeah. yeah. A drink that's served without ice. Yes. And, and, and those aren't really common in American drinking culture at all. But I imagine if it's super easy to end the night and make something quick, right? I think you also could add ice to it and it wouldn't be a real big problem. Okay. That's actually what I do at home. It's my, my cheater nightcap is very similar to, to that drink. Okay. What is, what is your cheater nightcap? My cheater nightcap is uh, whatever spirit I have on hand, usually a dark spirit. Mm-hmm bourbon or uh, maybe an aged rum or maybe a, a, a cognac, whatever I have. Usually it's probably bourbon though. And whatever Amaro I have on hand mm-hmm. and just kind of mix it over ice. Don't even stir it. Don't even, I mean, don't even measure it. Just kind of pour it in a glass. Is there no ratios? No. Is there like an approximate ratio? Maybe it's sort of 50-50-ish. Maybe a little more on the spirited side. Okay. Pour it in, sort of swirl it in your hand and you know, sit down with a good book. Okay. That's my cheater nightcap. Okay, I love it. Yeah, no, because my conception of a, of a nightcap for a very long time, I guess, is like an after-dinner drink, which I assumed is sweet. And so, I, I mean, other than Natasha David's beautiful bar, mm-hmm. um, uh, didn't have a really like great association with, with nightcaps. I don't necessarily love the really sticky, creamy, mm-hmm. sweet drinks, but I like ones that are... A little sweet, a little bracing. Like the, the Stinger, I think, is a really perfect dessert drink in a lot of ways. You know, it's got that Andy's candies, mm-hmm. you know, that, that creme de menthe. Love that. Even, yeah, even when it's green. Kara's <laughs> <laughs> telling me about her shame, which I can totally cut. I can cut it. I can edit no, it. No, no, I'm owning it. It's good. It's good. Okay. We're doing it. You brought up the Stinger. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um... Okay, so, all right, my secret shame. I'm leaning into the microphone. Just between you and me and the, the listener, it's, no one else is going to know. It's just us. <laughs> um, just the, the three of us and, and the dog asleep on the floor. Yes. Who's deaf? <laughs> okay, so the dog doesn't know. Dog doesn't know. Um, so for, for a nightcap, it is primarily bartender, uh, bartender recipes. And uh, in, in Brooklyn... Uh, Will Elliott has a wonderful version of the the Stinger at, at Savage, mm-hmm. and it is it is perfect. It is it is crisp. It's uh, it's a very specific brandy that he recommends. We talk about people who really are very uh, persnickety about mm-hmm. which which spirit. He's very precise about it being this brandy and this creme de menthe, and it is a white creme de menthe, and he serves it in a coupe glass with. Uh, an ice sphere in the middle, which is just a little, a little bizarre to have this. I know it's called uprox, and it's a little strange to have a coupe glass with right, the, the with, ice sphere with kind ice of bumping your yeah. nose. But it is so delicious and so refreshing, and uh, it took a bit of persuading to let him uh, to to uh, to get that drink for mm-hmm. for the book. And so when the first galleys of the book arrived with the the images, I. Uh, you know, I flipped through, and all of a sudden, I just stopped in my tracks. I just, I saw this bright green 
neon green <laughs> thing and a coupe glass. I'm like, what is this? And I look, it's the Stinger made with green creme de menthe. I was like, oh, crap. It looks like a bank lollipop color. Like, that's the green. <laughs> it's, you can't miss it. You really can't miss it. And uh, so I, you know, I, I begged to have it changed and they wouldn't change it. It was just too late in the, the process. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that really could be done was to, to change the, the text to say, well, it can be green, as it is here, but really it's better if. It's better if it's, yeah. If it's as it, it should be. So I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of this now as kind of the, the litmus test. Whenever I show the book to anyone who's a, a professional in any capacity or like a real diehard cocktail geek mm-hmm. I say find find the mistake in the book and it's like a record screech as soon as they they see that they're like this is a green stinger yeah. and it is not meant to be <laughs> <laughs> yes there you go so that is my secret shame uh, that that has been revealed sorry Will Elliott <laughs> <laughs> he's been a pretty good sport about it I have to say okay great so for this process though that's so different when you're going 40 recipes in this book, yes? Uh, I think it's closer to 50. Okay. Okay. Oh, it says more than 40. Sorry. More than 40 (laughs) recipes. Um, What is your process for finding nightcaps? You just do an email blast and it's like, hit me up with your nightcaps? Or as you're traveling around the country, covering other stories, you're taking incredible notes and kind of categorizing things in your mind and going back to people? I think it was all of the... Uh, okay. I, I know going in, there were certain drinks that I knew had to be in there. Mm-hmm. And when I was working on the proposal, um, I already knew there were going to be, you know, this many Amaro drinks. And and there are also stories that happened along the way. Some of it I did kind of reach out to bartenders and say, what do you have that's in the nightcap realm? And they'd come back and maybe there'd be five drinks and I'd select one and you sort of fit everything together like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there were also things that just kind of happened along the way. Like there are the paper plane shots in, in, uh, in the book. And that was because literally as I was wrapping up the, the book, I went to the, the grill, um, what used to be the, the Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, for, I, was, I was on assignment working on something. It's not like I normally just sort of walk into the grill. Right, I was like, that's very fancy. It's so fancy. <laughs> uh, but I was there for a story. And I'm sitting at the bar interviewing the bartender. And there are two rowdy couples sitting across the bar and they are plastered. They were clearly like beyond their third or fourth nightcap. Right. And the bartender turns to them and just so graciously says, here's your check and here's a little something to, mm-hmm. to end your night. <laughs> and he had made a paper plane and divided it into four and gave them each these little pink shots. Oh, perfect. And they, you know, they toasted and they thought it was awesome and they paid their check and they went off into the night. Yes. It's like, that's awesome. That's, that's one way to do a nightcap I never even thought. And it's such a, an un-nightcap, you know, it broke all the rules that I Right. It has a high acid yeah. and no, I don't think about a paper plane as a nightcap at all. No, no. It's, it's more of like an aperitivo. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in that moment, it was exactly the perfect thing to do. And the bartender handled it with such grace. And I was like, yeah. That's going in the book. I don't care how I'm, I'm getting that in there somehow. <laughs> and it is. Okay, fabulous. So I think it's time for rapid fire. Um, what is your favorite cocktail book that's not your own? I'm, 
instead going to, say, um, the Bartender's Choice app yes. instead of a book? Can I do that? Yeah, please tell yeah, tell listeners what that means. Um, it is from the, the folks behind Attaboy. Mm-hmm. And it's um, a lot of the, the recipes that were part of the original milk and honey bar uh, canon. And it's, it's on my phone. And I just love that I can kind of pick it up and, and just say, I have rye in my, my cabinet and I feel like uh, something spicy or, or bitter and I'd like for it to be shaken and you know boop 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 there it is really yes i, love I don't it. use it that's amazing it's called the bartender's app yes the bartender's choice bartender's choice yes 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 i'm going to that sounds like a fabulous tool i'm pulling it over and the best part of it to, to me anyway is that you can kind of shake it okay i'm handing it over to you like shake it like a cocktail shaker uh-huh and it'll pick up it'll pick a drink for you at random okay can... i'm just gonna say i feel like gin um i want it to be Savory. (laughs) I want crushed. And what else would I like? Floral. Oh, let's see what it comes up Uh, with. I'm either doing Gordon's Cup uh, with gin, lime chunks, simple, and curacao, or Gordon's Breakfast, uh, which is a Bloody Mary alternative. Gin, lime chunks, simple, uh, Cholula hot sauce, Worcestershire sauce, which I can't pronounce very well ever, and cucumber. <laughs> there we go. That's amazing. I use oh, this all the time. I, it's like, oh, I'd pay good money for that. That's, that's <laughs> fabulous. And how big is your home bar? Is it? Do you have? Do you have just? Are you? Do you? Do you have like? It's very small. Full? Is it really? Yeah, and I, I write. It's um, fewer than 10 bottles and right what? now yeah and right now I have a very I have a small apartment and right now I have a very strict one in one out rule oh I wish my I wish William with my husband would follow that rule <laughs> <laughs> you have a beautiful bar card you don't need to there's a lot so okay so what are your essentials um let's see it's got to be a gin got to be a a whiskey usually a, a rye or a bourbon mm-hmm. right now I have a bottle of boo rye because I can't make decisions um and it's also very good what was that again Boo rye. It's from High West. Okay. It's it's rye. bourbon and rye. Okay. So it kind of I like how it does double duty. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So, gin, whiskey, uh, definitely uh, some sort of amaro. Mm-hmm. So probably that Campari is going to go home with me, and yes. I'm going to boot something else out of the out of the, the shelf. Um, I have a bottle of absinthe that has been. Sitting there for, I mean, it's got to be close to two years. I use so little of it. Right. But that's also good, a little bit swirled in a glass. Okay. I, I review spares for wine enthusiasts, mm-hmm. and so I get a lot of bottles sent to me. And very rarely does anyone send me vermouth. You know, boo-hoo, poor, poor right. little spirits writer. No one sends you vermouth. Um, but it's something that I'll feel very strongly about buying. You know, it's, if there's one thing I buy, it's vermouth over and over and over again. If there's something I've not seen before, I want to try that vermouth. I like Spanish vermouth. I like uh, the, the Dolan line of vermouths. Mm-hmm. I like Blanc vermouths. Um, if it's, uh, I've seen some sherry vermouths lately. I'm, I'm obsessed with vermouth right now. Okay, so that's like the, the thing you're obsessed with. Also, how, how many bottles are you reviewing in a, in a year or in a given like a, a time frame, a month, say? Oh, um, I mean, it depends on the category. Over the course of the year, it's it's probably um, somewhere between five and seven hundred, I think. Really? Yeah. Holy mother! Um, I keep almost none of them. 
I, I give almost all of them away. And if there's a bottle that I feel really, really strongly, like I don't want to let it go mm-hmm. and it must come home with me, it means I, I need to, you know, sit up in that moment and pay attention to what I'm, what I have in my glass. Yeah. Five to 700 a year. How many of those do you think are, are exceptional? Uh, maybe five to 10%, which oh. is pretty high. Five to ten percent. I'm like that sounds low to me, but no, you think that. <laughs> well, I guess it depends what you mean by exceptional. I think, let's say maybe twenty five percent are just really excellent. Five to ten are, um, you know, so exceptional. You're really just, you know, like laser focus, amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm so sad this bottle is empty, and I want to go home and cry. Um, so, I assume everybody can find these lovely books on Amazon. They're available um, in all the usual places, uh, Amazon, independent bookstores, uh, support your local bookstores. Yes, that's much better than Amazon. Uh, And how can listeners follow you uh, on Instagram or in the world? I am on Twitter at Kara Newman. I'm on Instagram at Newman underscore Kara because somebody got to my name first and they don't even post. (laughs) Outrage, outrage. Either way, I'm pretty easy to track down. Okay. Well, I tracked you down for this. I'm so glad you're here. And we're now going to eat some weird quiche (laughs) and broccoli salad. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay, listeners, I am at the Texas State Fair, and I'm with Tom Grace, and I am about to try his funnel cake bacon queso burger, affectionately known as the... You caught me off guard. It is the, <laughs> hold on, it is the FCBQB, known as that hashtag, all that good stuff. Come and get it at the State Fair of Texas. Got to have one. Uh, so tell us about it. Okay, so we, we have this awesome food competition here at the Great State Fair of Texas, okay. and it is the Big Tex Choice Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us who um, who can appreciate what this awesome contest brings, we, we try to enter something. Uh, I have all these products at one of my locations out of the State Fair of Texas. I have funnel cakes. I have awesome cheeseburgers. I put bacon on them, and I make uh, nachos. So I have the cake, so I have the bacon, I have the burgers, and I have funnel cakes. But I thought to myself, a big funnel cake is much too big to do something with a burger. So I said, I'm going to make funnel buns. And so I made many funnel cakes, and they became my funnel buns. Uh, powder sugar's got to come on it, and that sweet and savory with the bacon, the, the burger, uh, the, the queso dip just meshed together awesomely and so uh, we won the Big Tex Choice Awards two years ago in 2017 and we didn't just win for best taste but we also won for most creative so it was the first year ever that a Big Tex Choice Awards winner won two of the categories. Which is why I have to try it. I'll let you guys know how it is. So my immediate response to the fennel cake bacon queso burger was the super articulate oh yeah Shit, that's good. Which is all you really need to know. But seriously, if you ever make it to the State Fair of Texas, I would grab a partner or two and launch into one of those burgers. Lunch is served. Okay, so uh, chili, (laughs) green chili beef quiche. I don't really know that that's a quiche, but that's what they called it. And, um are vaguely Italian-themed broccoli <laughs> salad. I feel like there was some, like, late poor lady in, like, Virginia, or maybe it was a woman from North Carolina who's, like, Italian, but um, 
Mm. That's not, I mean, that's like something you get at a tailgate, right? Or a, yeah. a church supper. It's delicious. And definitely better than, um, I think I'm not very fond of the mayonnaise and onion, or mayonnaise and raisin version yeah. of the salad. Uh, so I'll say of this, this, um, this chili, this chili beef quiche is um, classic with a twist. <laughs> it's totally tasty, but it's more like a breakfast casserole than a quiche. I think if a French person ate this, they would be pretty offended. But oh no! But I think it's great. It's sort of like a cheeseburger quiche. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Somehow in life. The cheeseburger always finds me. I hope for all of you listeners that you are sidled up to a cocktail right now, listening and partaking in something delicious. Signing out. Keep it creamy, y'all. <laughs>